Hello, I'm Grayson Pulte, and welcome to another episode of SAE Tomorrow Today. Before this episode begins, please kindly take a moment to follow and be notified when a new episode is released. Before we launch today's episode, let's talk about relationships. As an SAE Tomorrow Today listener, you've heard about how personal relationships have made an impact on an individual's career. At its core, SAE is all about connecting people and helping those individuals develop relationships. It's never been more essential than it is today. For a limited time, SAE is offering a free trial to its exclusive Member Connection Online platform. And what does this mean to you? It allows you to join real-time discussions on critical advancements, get answers to technical questions, and start to develop and build connections that eventually turn into relationships. Experience the power of connecting through SAE. Click the link in the show notes and sign up today to start your free Member Connection trial. On today's episode, we met Mark Kopko, Director of PennDOT's Office of Transformational Technology. With autonomous vehicles being tested on Pennsylvania roads for the last 10 years, PennDOT is focused on the education, safety, and policy to help scale the technology responsibly. Understanding the future of the workforce is key to the success of autonomy, and PennDOT is staying in front of it, making Pennsylvania the DOT of the future. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. Thanks for having me. Super excited to have you here. Pennsylvania is a cool state. Doing research for this podcast, I had no idea all the great inventions that happened in Pennsylvania. In 1935, the Girl Scouts invented the Girl Scout cookies, which for the record are absolutely awesome, and we all like getting them every year. And in 1941, the Jeep was invented. With a state rich in history, how are you approaching the advent of transformational technology? From a DOT standpoint, one of the big things we're trying to do is just stay in front of it. And that's a challenge in itself, especially as we start to look at this from a traditional infrastructure owner operator. You know, technology and how we've done roadways and bridges and our, our overall transportation network, it's been incremental changes. And, and frankly, we haven't had, you know, substantial changes for decades. So now we have this technology that's coming in here, whether it be automated vehicles or electric vehicles or drones or whatever it might be, and it can start to get away from you and it can get away from you quick. So we've had the, the privilege of having some secretaries, including our, our current secretary, Yasmin Gramian who have a strong focus on technology and want to make sure that we stay in front of this. Because unfortunately, if we don't, it will just get ahead of us and we'll never catch up. So, you know, we, we try to take a, a couple phase approaches. You know, we, we try to come up with a champion for everything. We try to stay engaged, just make sure we keep a finger on a pulse. If nothing else, we then understand the implications of the technology, the benefits, the pros, the cons. And we can make sure that that ties into what our existing business models are. You know, we work with partners. You know, it's important not to go down this alone. And we try to come up and develop a plan. So regardless of what the technology is, the big thing that we're trying to do is just stay in front of it. And we've done that for years in Pennsylvania with a variety of technologies and it's worked. So why recreate the wheel? That's a valid point of recreating the wheel. Partners play a valuable role in the ecosystem. I love to know, how are you staying in front? Is it industry conferences such as your summit? Is it relationships? What are you doing so you're not blindsided where something rolls in your city like, uh-oh, I didn't know this was in the Commonwealth today. What are you doing to constantly stay ahead of that? It's all that and everything above, right? So it's it's making sure that you work with industry that's within your state, work with academia. You know, a lot of this technology always comes out academia first, it tends to be, and then it transitions into the, the actual industry. So trying to work with all those partners, we try and stay engaged not only at the state and regional level, but also at the national and global level. So participation in a variety of groups, you know, whether it be governmental focus or industry focus, we try to stay engaged. We try to go to conferences, just have those conversations. 
it's happening everywhere. Unfortunately, it's happening so much that you could dedicate your day, eight hours a day, 40 hours a week to this, and you still won't be able to keep up with every white paper or research report or just you know advancements in industry that's coming out day to day. So the best thing we can do is just put as much resources as we can to just have those conversations, build those relationships, and it has something that we can build upon. It just helps us stay ahead. One technology that started in academia and it's being prototyped now is drones. Are you currently evaluating the impact of the residents of the Commonwealth and businesses that drones will have on them? Sure. We are, we're getting ready to kick off a, a UAS task force with a, a variety of stakeholders, both from public and private sector. Because once again, you can't go down this alone. It's important to have a variety of inputs because it hits a variety of stakeholders. So uh, the task force will be convening here this summer, and we're trying to look at a variety of topics, whether it be uh, aerial delivery or personal mobility, you know, so you know, or just traditional use cases where it supplements other things, such as inspections or uh, using it for disinfection of 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 of, of, of public venues or wherever it might be. So there's a variety of use cases and that's the, the great thing about this technology, but that's also the difficult part, you know, is that it has so many variety of use cases, you have to try and stay ahead of everything and understand what's the implications, not only to the government, but then also where I said also to a DOT and what does it mean for us? The venue is an interesting one. Will you bring in private sector individuals into your task force to, to offer insight and opinion? Yeah, yeah, we have uh, representations uh, from a variety of industry members on the task force just to make sure that we get that input. And then also people who potentially use those services uh, from a business standpoint as well. You know, we want to make sure that you look at that entire ecosystem to get feedback. There's a common thread here that you're taking a, a well-balanced approach to welcoming innovation. You're staying a- ahead of the curve, which for a state DOT is frankly awesome. And I want to shift gears to more in your wheelhouse into to ground autonomy. PennDOT has a voluntary authorized tester program for autonomous vehicles. Will you please kindly talk about that program, how it was started and why it was started? So uh, we have an interesting approach, you know, and like a lot of states, when you look at our vehicle code, uh, automation falls within a gray area and we know we're not alone there. Uh, But the basic overview of Pennsylvania is as long as you have a licensed driver, uh, willing, able to take over control, sitting behind the steering wheel, uh, autonomous vehicles are uh, permitted to operate within Pennsylvania. So that's how we have the testers that we have currently operating within the state. However, we, we understand that, the, you know, as this technology progresses, as as things continue to be advanced and be tested, we wanted to make sure that we had a protocol in place. So we didn't go and pass the legislation. Uh, what we ended up doing is putting a voluntary program in place. So a tester has to come in and submit a notice of testing to the department. We review it. And then with that, they receive a letter of authorization from the secretary. Now, the, the notice of testing, we don't necessarily dive down into the technology part of the, the AV. You know, that's not to say we don't ask questions because there's some things you just need to know. You need to know what is the, you know, what's the ODD of that vehicle, just so you have a better understanding of how that's actually going to operate within your facilities. But what we try to focus more on is the safety operator and the safety culture. You know, we know that looking at the technology, and that's not the wheelhouse of a DOT, you know, we feel that that's more of a federal role, and it's not something that we necessarily have the expertise. But we've been licensing drivers for decades, so we know that human element. And we also understand safety. You know, you talk to any DOT, and they'll say that what's the most important thing? Safety is paramount. So we start to look at the safety culture. So if you have a safety culture, and you actually have the properly trained operators within your vehicle, if something does go wrong, Hopefully, then you have the people in the vehicle who can respond appropriate. And because of that safety culture, you're not going to put them in a position where it's going to be a catastrophic failure. So there's two safety nets that you could potentially have there. So that's how we try to evaluate. 
Uh, and it's interesting because it's voluntary, that gives us more flexibility. So we also have conversations with the testers. So we just did an update here uh, last fall. And leading into that, we had you know over 40 hours of one-on-one conversations just with AV developers in the state. And that's not counting outside groups or other stakeholders or just the overall group conversations. These are just the one-on-ones, just going back and forth, making sure everyone's on the same page, understanding why we're asking what we're asking and having back and forth that way, which is great because sometimes the testers come and say, well, I think you probably want to ask it this way because you might get to this type of information instead. And that's something that we can do through the voluntary and having flexibility uh, that we might not necessarily have in some other states. It's also unique in the sense that it is voluntary, but compliance is expected and we've had great success rates with it. You know, no one has come into the state and done testing that hasn't gone through the process. You know, they look at this as a good foundation, a good, good faith efforts to just basically say that safety is important to me. We're going to work with the DOT. We're going to work with the public officials to make sure things are done right and it's done safely. And there's a common trend in the industry about PennDOT. I've never heard anybody say ill will about your voluntary program. I haven't heard anything negative. I've heard, as you clearly demonstrated, the willingness to sit down, to have an open and honest conversation. I love, love, love the fact that you look for a culture of safety inside these autonomous vehicle companies. Safety and the culture of safety is going to be the glue that's going to hold this industry together and to allow it to scale. Because when you meet with your constituents, when you have the eight companies that are operating in your state, they understand safety, that they're putting things forward. So you're not only allowing them to run a business, you're helping protect the citizens of the Commonwealth, which is a really well-grounded approach. So as I said, you have eight companies that are currently authorized to test in Pennsylvania. Two of those companies are pure autonomous trucking companies. Uh, One of those companies also has a trucking program. How do you see the autonomous trucking market growing in Pennsylvania? Do you approach it the same way that you're approaching your relationships of culture of safety with the ground vehicle side or is it a different approach because they're they're larger vehicles based on a gross weight metric you know and i I think there's a common foundation you start with you know regardless of what use case and autonomy that you're looking at uh whether it be ride hailing or uh, automated transit or or commercial vehicle operations so you, you have that that base foundation looking at safety then you can build upon that and have those conversations. So of course, there's things that are associated with commercial vehicles you're not gonna have with ride hailing where we have to have considerations for what's the cargo that they're carrying. We also have to look at things like grade of the roadway, uh, you know, and, and things like that, that we wanna make sure that we have considerations. Also, you know, we can look at some of our interstate systems and just in our Northern part of the, the state, especially getting toward, towards Great Lakes, unlike in some of the urbanized areas, I mean, you can get snow squalls and you can get whiteout conditions that just can come out of nowhere at times. So there's always different factors and that just ties into that environment. But we always start with that common foundation of safety and having those conversations like we do with any other industry and any other testers. And we start to build from there. But we we view that you know, automated freight is going to be important in the future. We're the Keystone State for a reason. You can't get into uh, the Northeast and New England and Mid-Atlantic basically without going through Pennsylvania. It's a major trucking hub going through here. Plus, we have major distribution corridors and distribution centers along our, our, our limited access network. So how do we start to make sure that we have the things in place to allow for that growth to continue, but to do it safely and do it appropriately? And you're right. You are the Keystone State, but you have the world's largest owner of private trucking fleet in Pennsylvania with Penske Truck Leasing. So you've got an incredible company there. If when the company goes through the voluntary process of meeting with you and they get their voluntary approval, 
Are there restrictions on the highways that they can drive? Or how, how does that process work for you? Because you mentioned ODD earlier in the conversation. We basically look at what their proposed use cases are. And with the exception of platooning, which there's some limitations just to the geometry of the roadway uh, that you potentially have in different areas or just the, the volume of traffic, we're not necessarily putting any type of restrictions on with, with automation. You know, we, we evaluate everything. So, you know, of course, if you're going through the Pennsylvania Turnpike or if you're going into Pittsburgh, there's going to be tunnels that you're going to encounter and we evaluate those. We also look at what you say your ODD is versus when you're going to be operating and then what's the expected conditions. But those are a lot of back and forth, you know, and this is the great thing about having these conversations because at the end of the day, the infrastructure owner operators have a better understanding of the roadway network than probably anyone. So just have those conversations. You can start to identify uh, potential areas of, I don't want to call it concern, but areas to flag that necessarily have those. And then maybe you can avoid any type of hiccups along the way by just having those conversations up front of, well, you say you're going to do this. What, how are you going to do it in this type of scenario? You know, we get this a lot. You know, and that might come back and say, well, that's a good point. We'll, we'll go back and we'll adjust it. We'll tweak things. Or maybe just add additional things into their training programs uh, or into their actual simulation work or wherever it might be. But that's the great thing about these conversations is it's, it's not just one entity going itself. So you, you work back and forth. Conversations are key. When I was the co-chair of the Autonomous Vehicle Task Force City of Beverly Hills, our number one rule was no surprises. If you're going to operate in the city, we want to know so we can inform the mayor the city council, the constituents. And it seems like you're you're doing the same thing there around the no surprises, having these conversations. You're able to call the CEO of this company and get an update on, on what they're doing. And it really goes into your leadership, the secretary's leadership, because you're creating a welcoming environment, but you're also not making it the Wild West. You're finding this really healthy balance. And you mentioned Pittsburgh. So Pittsburgh's home to Carnegie Mellon and the famous red team from the DARPA Grand Challenge. In your role, do you take any inspiration away from the history of Carnegie Mellon, the world-famous robotics program, and all those really great stories and individuals that came out of the Red Team that, frankly, went on to change the world? Yeah, I, I think you can associate Pennsylvania automation without mentioning CMU. I mean, it's it's the backbone for everything. You know, it's, it's, it's one of the birthplaces of automation, at least modern automation. And, you know, as you mentioned, you know, the, the the figures that came out of their, you know, their, their their, the red team and, and just their overall program, you know, outside of the DARPA challenge team, you know, they are basically the ones that are helping to set the direction and frame how autonomy is working, not only ground transportation, but a variety of other sectors with this, looking at robotics and automation and artificial intelligence. And you can't disassociate each other from each that, you know, and that, that puts the Pennsylvania in a, a unique position. You know, it's a, it's a challenge for a DOT because, as a lot of states are getting up to speed on this, and maybe they've had some exposure, but maybe it's been very limited over time, we've had testing on public roadways for 10 years now in Pennsylvania. So you know, we went right into the deep end, just like states like Michigan and California. So trying to get that exposure has given us an advantage where we, we start to get this understanding, we start to build some expertise, and we start to get some skill sets, and we start to build those relationships so that as the technology progresses, we're not trying to play catch up. We've been there since the start, and it gives us something to build upon, which is is great uh, because that insight is is invaluable. Just as going back to my opening statement, you know, it's, it's easy to fall behind. And the fact that we had that advanced start and we were starting almost at the similar place and we have that rapport and you can always go back to those organizations, it's a great position to be in from a DOT standpoint. CMU is a special place and my friends that went through there, they have that CMU alumni network and they're always trying to help each other, especially with the roboticists. 
and you see, you've, you've, you've always had this world-renowned university there in CMU in Pittsburgh. And then the individuals who graduate, they move to California. And now the opposite's coming true. They're graduating and saying, okay, I went to California. I want to come home to Pittsburgh. I want to I want to build my company in Pittsburgh. And you're getting companies from California now that are opening up offices in Pittsburgh. What are your thoughts on Pittsburgh becoming this world-renowned robotics? It's always world-renowned for the academic robotics, but now it's becoming world-renowned for the commercialization of robotics. Yeah, and I think that's the interesting thing about Pittsburgh compared to a lot of other cities where automation's occurring is it's just not necessarily the, the testing or the deployment of AVs. It's this entire industry, this entire hub ecosystem that's building out around this. You know, and, and this all stems back to the great workforce that you're coming out of these academic institutions such as CMU. And with that, you're starting to see a variety of sectors, whether it be looking at automation from a you know, from an insurance standpoint or from a coding standpoint for machine visioning, or looking at from a safety verification approach, or just looking at component parts within it. There's a, a variety of areas that we have in Pittsburgh that you have these you know you know these secondary tertiary industries building out around the core AV and the building out around CMU and, and Pitt and other academic institutions that we have in the state, which is very interesting. You know, it, it it's it's great because you start to see movement and you start to see advancements with this technology. And then you can start to see how that builds out. You know, you start to see how it hits other sectors and you can start to see how that would eventually expand here in the future. And it's this nice little hub in Pittsburgh that's, that is expanding that you, you see that as a perfect example. And, and I want to point out, I like the Miami Dolphins. I think Dan Marino was one of the best quarterbacks of all time. He went to Pitt. <laughs> yes, he did. And so, you, so you you got one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Unfortunately, didn't win the Super Bowl, but one of the most greatest quarterbacks that came out of Pitt. You've got some of the world's greatest roboticists that come out of Pittsburgh. And on the other side of the state, a game that I love, Monopoly was invented in 1924 in Philadelphia. To date, Monopoly sold over 275 million copies. So, in, so you've got that the scaled out of Philadelphia and then in Pittsburgh, the roboticist putting this together is something in the water in Pennsylvania, you know how to scale products. How do you envision autonomous vehicles scaling? Absolutely. You know, and, and right now Pittsburgh's a hub and I will continue to be a global hub, but I, I definitely foresee Eastern Pennsylvania and the Philadelphia region, you know, just starting to expand, uh, especially within this, you know, once again, it all goes back to workforce. You know, there's, there's a variety of things we think that drives uh, innovation and, and drives autonomy where they actually go and set up, you know, and, and it can be physical environment looking at the climate. It could be uh, uh, more of a legal environment looking at what you have to do with where to operate. And then, then there's always the workforce component. And it's probably a balance of those three. Uh, and whether or not it's, it's a little bit more of this or a little bit more of that, you know, determines based off individual company. But Clearly, one of the reasons why people are in, are in Pennsylvania testing is just this workforce. We have great academic institutions. We have great people that are coming out of these, these institutions or, or even just in other sectors around that have the right skill set, that have the right attitude, and they have the right motivation to actually push this boundaries a little bit further and, and try and advance technology and, and look at things from a variety of areas. And I think that is what we're starting to see in Pennsylvania and continuing to grow is just we have the right workforce, we have the right people, we have the right skill sets here that's encouraging the industry. You know, but at the same time, it's it, you know, it's it's folks who who aren't trying to make this the Wild West. It's not necessarily folks that want to push the boundaries. And, and that's the great thing about what we get to work with with the industry is it's people who hold safety at the highest level that we do. 
you know, and, and that's that's great because you can always push into you know innovations, but at what risk? And we have people here and we have the workforce here that understands, you know, it's just this balance and you have to make sure you can go as fast as you can, but you got to do it safely. And, and that's the great thing about Pennsylvania. And so we're seeing it in Pittsburgh and it's definitely spreading across the rest of the state. And, and I think Philadelphia is going to be the next big hub here for us. And Pennsylvania has incredibly passionate sports fans. Very much. Yeah. I've been to the Eagles games and Philadelphia Phillies games and and, the, the, and Flyers games and the the passion from your fan base is absolutely incredible and, and I frankly enjoyed my experience in Philadelphia sports so they're staying on the topic of, of Philadelphia here and, and, and this is before AVs going to your sports games having a great time I would have loved had an AV to, to move me around then are autonomous vehicle companies currently testing in Philadelphia by any chance we have uh, a, a couple testers that have gone through the authorization process who've stated that they, they expect to test within the Philadelphia region. Uh, of course, CMU is, is testing throughout the state, uh, but we have uh, we have folks like uh, Qualcomm, uh, NVIDIA that are also looking in the Philadelphia region. So there's there's definitely have testers on both the, 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 you know, the western and eastern side. And in fact, uh, we have 67 counties in Pennsylvania. If you look at all the t- counties that testers expect to operate within the next year, based off what they submit to us, it's a, f- a 56 of the 67 counties. Now, a lot of those counties are limited access networks, so looking at the interstates and and systems similar to that, uh, but it's still spread around the state. And and on, on the Philadelphia side, you got University of Pennsylvania with the incredible Wharton School of Business. You got Drexel, and, and you've got Temple. So are those universities working on the autonomous vehicle industry at all similar to what Carnegie Mellon, the way that they're engaging on the Pittsburgh side of the state? Yeah, every one of our universities, for the most part, is is looking at uh, automation and elements of this. Now, whether or not they're actually diving down into trying to develop the actual uh, software stacks and sensors arrays and actual whole holistic, you know, the, the bring it all together, the, the vehicle like CMU does, you know, but some of them are looking at from more of the public policy side. Some of it are, are looking at more from the planning standpoint. You know, so a variety of different aspects are being viewed and it's it's across the board. You know, everyone recognizes that this is a future that we, we see coming. You know, you, you don't want to lose sight of it. It's very much important to them as it is to, you know, it, to industry. And, and so they're definitely building programs around this, looking at a variety of things. So just as much as we talked about the tech hubs and Pittsburgh hitting, you know, a variety of different elements outside of just AVs, it's the same way with our academic institutions. You know, they're looking at every component of automation and what does it impact? You know, and some schools are leading in different areas compared to others, uh, but it's, it's definitely looking at everything across the board, which is great. That's fantastic. Then you've got all these incredible companies. You've got somebody at Wharton's going to write the business model that's going to make this industry succeed. An individual in CMU is going to build the robotic that's going to allow the individual at Wharton to put it. So you get the pieces together there. And then you've got the one missing element of this. There's all this talk, oh, work productivity is going to go up. People are going to work and do Excel spreadsheets in the car. I'm in the belief they're going to watch entertainment. They're going to want to watch movies. They're going to want to take it easy. you got Comcast that owns NBC Universal in Philadelphia. And you've got Penske, as I mentioned earlier, in Reading, PA. You've got other businesses. Is there an ecosystem being developed so you have the individuals that are building the vehicle and then you have the individual companies that can put services in there? Is there an AV ecosystem being built in Pennsylvania? Because looking at this, it seems that you have all the parts to build something truly special that can only be built in Pennsylvania. Yeah, and I think that's one of the great things about the industry that's here is that 
it's it's not siloed to the point where no one's talking to each other. There's there's conversations happening back and forth, whether it be you know from the developers and, and fleet providers or those that are providing you know uh, com- you know specific sensor components or, or any other components of the vehicle to those who are looking at how do you tie us into a larger deployment. So there's there's definitely conversations happening here, and that's that's a great thing because you have as you mentioned all those players already in one location. So you can start to have those conversations and you can start to build out that business plan and it gives you a better sense of, okay, where's this going to move and you know how do you see the future, which is great for us going back to why you work with partners is you start having conversations with a variety of groups with different perspectives on this and, and within their own little niche. And it starts to, you know, all the, the pieces start to come together just a little bit. You know, it's, it's still not a complete picture for anyone but it gives us a better idea of where it's going. So we're not going to try and go a direction that ends in a dead end, uh, which is you know great for a DOT when we have to plan out decades in advance for our, for our infrastructure, you know, to have a little bit of help trying to read these tea leaves. Uh, it's, it helps you sleep a little bit better at night. Is this why PennDOT created the PAAV Summit where you can bring the various individuals together from the ecosystem in one room to have conversations, to meet individuals on your staff, and you could meet individuals on their staff to come together and say, okay, we're trying to build X, Y, and Z. We might need regulatory guidance on X, Y, and Z, and you can come together and say, okay, how do we move together forward? How do we have that conversation? Yeah, we, we did that for a variety of reasons, and, and that being one of them. You know, we think education is one of the core backbones to making anything work safely. And we understand with this technology that just the, the breadth of this technology hits so many people, so many sectors. You know, transportation hits everyone. You know, so once you start to understand the implications of whatever you do for a living, whatever your industry is, and how automation can start to tie to that, there's going to be some implications. Now, it's going to be higher for some than others, but there's there's going to be some you know impact on what you do. You know, maybe it's good, maybe it's bad, whatever it might be. You know, we're, we're not here to preach one way or another for the technology, but you want to have that education. And then we want to make sure to have a conversation, you know, because at the end of the day, the best way that we can put the the public policy in place that we need to have for the Commonwealth to make sure that we go down the right path is to have everyone have an opportunity to voice their opinions. So we have the summits. And then when we have these conversations, we, we welcome feedback, we welcome input. And what we have coming out of the speakers and what we have coming out of the questions and the participants, that helps drives our public policy. You know, this is once again, don't go down this path alone. Get as much help and input as you possibly can. And that's what we try to do with the summit. At the same time, providing that needed education, at least coming up with a, a baseline for people, right? There's a there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of assumptions with this technology. So if we can at least come up with a foundational knowledge that people can have, you know, make your own informed decision from there. But at least you're not basing this off of some pre-established notion that you have that that's just not correct, good or bad, once again. You know, it, it's important at least to be building from that common foundation. And the summit's an important way for us to help and educate and work with our partners uh, to get information out there. Your your level setting, and you said, you know, come to the summit and and, and, and hear it from the individuals that are building this technology, hear it from ourselves as the, the regulators, which is really smart because you've got clickbait and somebody reads something and they got the idea in their head and it turns out it's clickbait. But when you speak to yourself or you speak to individual building technology, they explain, no, it actually doesn't do this. And this is how it works. And this is what our timeline looks like. And oh, by the way, we went through a voluntary program. So we're only operating in this area. So it's, it's really smart way to do it. Another thing when you look at clickbait and misinformation around is the workforce. And you've mentioned it several times, but Pennsylvania have an incredible workforce. 
what can we do to, to educate and train the workforce of tomorrow? Because the jobs of tomorrow are going to be different, but they're going to be very important jobs. And they're going to scale across a ver- variety of skill sets. Um, uh, you know, a gentleman based in Pittsburgh, Brian Selesky, the CEO of Argo, he came on an earlier podcast and he said, Grayson, I love nothing more than an individual that can build something with their hands, build something out of wood, bend metal. That's interesting. That's a real skill set. Anybody can teach to write code, but I can't teach somebody how to build something with their hands. And that's an incredible skill that's only going to be needed more in the future. So what are your thoughts on on the workforce of tomorrow? Workforce is is one of those topics that I think every state's trying to figure out, you know, what, what's this going to mean for us? What do we need to have in place to make sure that, you know, that our citizens are positioned appropriately as technology progresses to, to advance or pivot or transition or wherever is necessary for this technology. So we, we understand that there's also misinformation there associated with workforce where a lot of people think, okay, is this only going to be nothing but engineering jobs, right? I'm an engineer, nothing wrong with those, right? But, you know, there's definitely going to be need for for automotive technicians, a huge need for that, especially if we're looking at large fleets. You know, how do you maintain those? You know, and, and make sure that everything's calibrated properly, all the fluids are in place. You know, the, the, the tire pressure is correct. That you clean things at the end of the night. There's there's a variety of, of 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 different jobs outside of engineering that are associated with this manufacturing, more of the trades. You know, so that gets back to education is trying to make sure people understand. Okay. What are the, the career paths that we should be looking at? What ones are going to grow? Which ones might have to pivot and adjust a little bit? So, you know, having those conversations. So one of the things that we have in Pennsylvania, uh, by, by law, we have a highly automated vehicle advisory committee. And one of the, the priorities that came out of this committee was looking at a workforce development plan. Uh, so we realized that workforce in itself is this, this massive beast, and it's going to be hard enough to tackle this. So... How do you do that? You, you, you do it one bite at a time type of thing. So we're going to start looking at small pieces. So one of the things we wanted to look at was automotive technicians. So here's something that we want to try and find a, a role that might have some day one implications because we already know that there's implications, especially on the small like mom and pa type of garages, whereas cars become more automated and frankly more electric. There's going to be always implications on those where maybe there's things that you just won't be able to do in your traditional shop and it has to go to more to a dealership. So trying to figure out, okay, as technology progresses, what does that mean for these types of businesses and industries? Because there's always going to be then two approaches. There's how do you train the new workforce that's getting ready to come in, you know, coming out of school, coming out of academia, coming out of trade schools. And then also how do you retrain or adjust or pivot or provide opportunities for people that are in the workforce right now to make sure that they don't fall behind and they have what they need to to maintain that level of, of living that they're used to and how they want to progress their careers in general. So it's it's very important to work with different partners. So on our highly automated vehicle advisory committees, we have other state agencies such as Department of Community Economic Development, Department of Labor Industry, you know, other state agencies, other uh, you know, public and private you know participation. Once again, it takes a whole collective to start to work this through and start having these conversations. So you need to know from industry, you know, what are the the you know the jobs that you're look, going to be looking for in the future? And then we also have to work with all of our partners of how do we make sure our workforce is ready for those jobs? And there's always going to be a transition period and there's always going to be gray space in between. So it's not going to be we flip a switch and overnight, you know, there's no such thing as truck drivers. You know, I, I don't see that anytime in the foreseeable future. And I don't think anyone really does. You know, there's always going to be a component for the human element, but it's making sure 
well, how, how, you know, how are our automotive technicians, how are our truck drivers more competitive just because they have different skill sets or knowledge base that they can tie in there? You know, it's no different. You know, you, you look at someone's resume, you're looking for certain, you know, elements. Maybe it's a certification, maybe it's a training, maybe it's whatever it might be. Let's try and figure that out so that when automation continues to progress, whether or not we get to fully automated vehicles or it's just lower levels of automation for the foreseeable future, that's still gonna have implications on those jobs. So making sure that they have the right skill set and training, that's gonna be important. So we, we wanna have these conversations and we know it's more than just a DOT, clearly. So how do we work together as a collective to push Pennsylvania forward to make sure it's better for everyone? The conversations that you are having are extremely important. There's a, a gentleman I know in, in Las Vegas, Nevada, and he volunteers with the, with the Boys and Girls Club. And he's an ex-NFL star and, and played in the NFL for many years. And he goes and he talks to, the, to these children and said, you know, my playing career, you know, they said I had a three, had a three-year window. I end up, you know, having a 10-year successful career, but you have to plan. And he would ask these individuals, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, I want to be LeBron James or I want to be the, you know, like you and go in the NFL and, and do all this stuff. And he said, try and teach about video games. Oh, no, those aren't cool. He said, you know, you build the right video game or if you invent an autonomous vehicle or build something, you can own the team. He said, and now now you got the cars. Now you're the boss. And all these kids, eyes up. So I can own the team and I can call the shots. And he, and he, and he, he looked at the children and the reactions in their faces and the, like it resonated with them. And he said, to start tinkering with robotics and build little things, invent things, it's not... You don't have to be able to, uh, you know, uh, Michael Jordan uh, dunking over John Starks. Like, just build something, and then you can be in the position to employ those individuals. And it, things like that conversation that Jerome had with those those children and the boys and girls come to Las Vegas. It seems like they're happening there in Pennsylvania because those are powerful conversations where you spark that in that that child's imagination, and and away they go. And so, sticking on that topic. How did you first become interested in autonomous vehicles? Did somebody like Jerome have a talk with you and say, hey, Mark, there's this really cool thing going on here and you're in the heart of it. How did that go? Just like a lot of people, when you get in early on, it, it, it ends up being just something most people equate up to dumb luck, right? So, <laughs> I, I, you know, Carnegie Mellon University about 10 years ago started testing on public roadways and it raised the whole questions of, well, is this legal? You know, what does this mean? How do we start looking at things? This is also about the same time that connectivity was really ramping up conversations of looking at things like DSRC and V to V, V to I, those types of conversations. And uh, you know, I just happened to be the, uh, the young engineer in operations who had a, a strong focus in technology, right place at the right time. You know, they said, you know, throw the young guy in there, see if he can understand some of this stuff, and it, it worked out well for me. You know, it's fascinating, you know, and, and we start to see something build up from the ground, you know, from the ground up, you know, early on and just seeing how things progress. So I'm, I'm here just because of, of dumb luck and they, they apparently like me enough to keep me around here, to keep going here. So, uh, you know, I, I very much enjoy what we do, I, I get to do here. Every day is different, you know, and that's the great thing. And I'm, I'm sure anyone who works in this industry, whether it be on the public policy side like me or, or you know, I'm sure just actually in the, the you know, the trenches developing a, you know, developing the stack, it's different every day. And that's the, you know, you get the right people who have that right mindset. You know, that's the, the greatest job you can have is it's just different. You know, you don't want to do two things, you know, the same day in a row. But you're constantly innovating. You're constantly asking the right questions and engaging in the right dialogues and putting this all together. 
What does the future of PennDOT look like? Do you end up becoming secretary one day and say, you know what, we're going to be the most in innovative <laughs> DOT in the country? I, I don't have to become secretary to become the most innovative. You know, we, we have great leadership right now, you know, that has a, a strong viewpoint on, on technology and across the board, you know, we understand this, you know, so I, I think you should start to look at, at PennDOT is that our, our goal is to look at the department holistically and making sure that we can integrate this in the existing business processes. You know, a lot of states right now are, are very similar to PennDOT, where you know, you know we have folks like myself that are more champions, you know, program leads, things like that, and that's great right now. But at some point, it has to become more integrated. So that's that's what we're looking at. Is okay, how do you you know this is almost a train the trainer type of approach. You know, I learn it, and then how do I pass this off to you know you know other people who then pass it off to others, so that at least there's a, you know a, a common level of knowledge throughout the department, and then in different areas you have the right skill sets to go along with that. You know, it's very important that we have the right workforce in place, so that as this technology progresses, and there's a level of expectation from the citizens of this needs to work because you know this is what the technology's at, this is what I'm assuming, and it's going to be working in other states. Why can't it work here in Pennsylvania that way? We want to make sure that PennDOT has the right you know, protocols and, and policies in place that our, our staff and our department is, is ready to meet this challenge. You know, it all goes back to don't fall behind. It's, it's the most simplistic, you know, charge you can give someone, but at the same time, it is by far the hardest thing, you know, to, to actually do and actually, you know, implement. So, you know, how does PennDOT change in the future is that we just make sure that you know, people have that right skill set and that knowledge and they understand what does it mean for my piece of the pie within that department, you know, and, and ultimately if, if I did my job right, you know, ultimately I don't work on AVs anymore. I move on to next bigger, better thing, you know, that comes down the pike and it's already integrated seamlessly into the department's, you know, business process and people don't bat an eye about it. You know, that, that's, that's the goal. Extremely, extremely smart it, it creating a frictionless ability for innovation to scale within the state and for our listeners who live in the commonwealth and do not want to fall behind and stay ahead of the curve how can they get involved with the paav summit is there a website they can go to can they is it virtual today going to go in person in the future mm -hmm. could you shed some lights on where they can go to learn all about it and sign up sure uh go to paavsummit.org uh, we have a website there. We have a, uh, a virtual uh, summit series that it's going on right now. Uh, we have another one that's coming up here next uh, next week. It'll be focused on uh, automation within uh, within multimodal use cases. Uh, we have a couple other summit series events that are happening over the summer, and then at the end of October, we'll be having our, our 2021 summit. Uh, unfortunately, we had to go virtual just because of the nature of, of summit planning and how far in advance you have to, you know, make decisions here. So uh, with that, we'll be virtual, but we will, we're planning to hopefully be back live in person in 2022, and, and we'll continue to have additional events. Uh, you can, you know, through the summit, through the summit series leading up and, and hopefully after the summit as well. You know, once again, it's important to keep these conversations going. It's, it's important to have education, and it, it's important to keep working together. So we view this as a critical step going forward. It definitely is a critical step. And as Mark said, be sure to visit paavsummit.org. That's paavsummit.org. Register for the virtual events, and hopefully we'll see you in 2022 in person. And Mark, as we look to wrap up this extremely insightful conversation, what would you like the listeners to take away with them? You know, I, I, I guess the big thing we would want is, you know, to realize that, that Pennsylvania is taking this technology serious. You know, we don't know what the future is going to look like. 
And that's the challenge that everyone's working with right now. But we're trying to make sure that we take the right approach and we have the right policies in place and we have the right individuals in place and work at everything as a collective to make sure that things are done safely and things are done appropriately. And we can start to actually experience the benefits of this technology that we all talk about, you know, potential safety benefits, mobility benefits, you know, environmental benefits. You can't get there if you don't do it safely. So ultimately, it takes all of us working together. And we're trying to make sure that we have the right mindset in Pennsylvania to make that happen. And the one thing it takes more than everything is leadership. And Mark, you've clearly demonstrated that you have the leadership ability to implement this technology safely for the benefit of the residents of the Commonwealth. Because today is tomorrow, tomorrow is today, and PennDOT is the DOT of the future. Mark, thank you so much for coming on the SAE Tomorrow Today podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to SAE Tomorrow Today. Be sure to join us next time when I sit down with Fernando Souza, Global Head of CyberSource, a Visa solution, to talk about the future of contactless payments. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please kindly rate, review, and let us know what topics you'd like for us to explore next by emailing us at podcast at SAE.org. That's podcast at SAE.org. And be sure to follow us on LinkedIn to stay connected and to continue the conversation. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.